This is the Cinepunks Podcast Collective. My name's Josh Alvarez. Yeah, I'm Lee Madonna. And you're listening to episode 182 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. Welcome back, everybody. It's hey been yo. a little bit. It's been a little bit. I know hey that. Yo. And it's cool. I mean, we did our episode with Mike Gagino, yes, and that shit yes. was awesome. It was great. But uh, it's been a minute. Like, even during October, we only we didn't really get a chance to like get as many episodes in as we wanted to. Well, okay. So we took so much time off in August. We recorded in September. And then in September, we're like, look, because we took all this time off, let's do a million episodes in October. Like let's really overwhelm it, like really push ourselves. And then we did the opposite of that. Now there yeah. are lots of good reasons for that, I think both in your life and in my life. So I, I don't want to do a whole guilt trip on this thing. Yeah, but, no, 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 no. But it is true that like, you know, because we haven't been recording much, if you don't listen to Lunch with Liam, then you might not know, like, Josh had shows going on and he had, you know, life stuff going on. And then I, last minute, thanks to Jesse at Diabolic, got to vend at Cinema Wasteland, which was great, but it was a lot of work to get ready for. And then my mom had a medical procedure that I had to fly home for. But before that, I had an all, I was at an all night hearthon here in Chicago that I vended at. And like, you know, this is more of a lunch with Liam thing, but we'll do a little, for those of you who aren't on the Patreon, we'll do a little uh, insight into that. Uh, just the other day, Josh, I was, I was, I was in therapy and my therapist was like, Hey, maybe you're burnt out. And that seemed weird to me because in case people don't know, I'm not what you would call employed. <laughs> I mean, I, I run two organizations and one of those organizations does make some amount of money. Rough cut does make some money, but uh, like, not like job money. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's like, yeah. it's like profitable hobby money. You know, it's like, right, I'm, I'm right. not really paying any of our bills with rough cut, especially because we don't really take a lot of money out of rough cut. Like we're trying to build up the equity in rough cut right. so that if we need to do something like buy a building or invest in equipment or do whatever we have money for that. So like we don't take a lot of payouts out of rough cut. So I don't have a lot of income. So in my mind, I associate burnout right with work and yeah. I'm like, no, I can't be burnout. I'm not really doing anything. And she's like, Oh, you're not doing anything. So like first you were dealing with uh sickness at home and then you did a 24 hour fast from which you rested for barely a day. And then you got on a plane to be the nursemaid to your mom for four days, including a literal like almost 18 hour day in the hospital with your mom. And then you did a bunch of stuff after that. And then when you got home, you were basically doing like parenting stuff immediately as soon as you got home. And like, you don't think any of that is work. And I'm like, well, uh, I mean, I guess it is, but, and it's like only through talking it out and then talking about like how I was feeling, I was like, oh, right. I guess you could just be emotionally burned out without making money. Cause that just hadn't <laughs> occurred to me. I mean, don't be wrong. I don't want to pretend like I don't know what burnout is. I have been burnt out, but you remember Josh, like when I was working at Broad Street, I was working yeah. overnight at a homeless shelter. I yeah, was working shows. I was trying to like do stuff on the side. It was easy to understand burnout in that context because I had a lot of responsibilities to other people. And I just hadn't really considered like, okay, but like even if those responsibilities don't involve money and they're <laughs> like, per, you know, whatever. I mean, again, I, the rough cut thing is work, but like I'll be honest, I had a lot of fun at this overnight thing. I got to yeah. meet – I don't know if we talked about it on here. I guess the I weekend nachos guy. Yeah, yeah, I met the weekend nachos guy, uh, my friend Brian, great dude, hoping to hang out with him. Hung out with my friend Tony who I think – doesn't listen on Patreon, but does listen to this, I think. So, hey, what's up, Tony? Uh, and we we share a barber, and now we're friends. So that's nice. Fun. 
Uh, but he's another like goes to shows, likes horror movies, dad sort of, you know, situation. So that's great. And we all got to hang out and, you know, I got to hang out with Nick from uh, the brood slash brick and brack records. They were set up right by me. So I talked to him a bunch. So all that to say, like, it was such a good time and it was so social that I didn't think about like, Hey man, you just worked an event from like eight 30 in the morning till like three 30 in the morning <laughs> and the next day. And like, maybe that is bad, like, or not bad, but exhausting. It's work. You know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyways, all that to say, it's hard when I've had so much stuff going on to really acknowledge like how frustrated I am that we haven't been able to record, but like it's life, man. I mean, yeah, look, man. Hey, hey, here's the thing. We get that we get that Patreon up to uh five, six hundred bucks a month. We'll 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 record as much as you guys want. We'll once money's coming in, we'll we'll fucking make it happen. But right now we gotta we gotta be beholden to life because this is a right. this is a free ass product, you know. So it is what it is. Anyway, uh, so on this episode, I you know we were trying to figure out what we want to do next. We have a few uh, guests coming up that are in the hopper that I think we're mostly even prepared for, but we're yeah. working with schedules and stuff. So we had to pick something sort of on our own. And I've been wanting us to return to Hong Kong action. We talked about Cynthia Rothrock. That was great. We did uh, Yes, Madam. That was great. With Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, with Michelle Yeoh, yeah. And I wanted to get back to that. And I've had it on my mind because a lot of people I know are talking about all kinds of Hong Kong action stuff. And we screened not that long ago a little movie called Writing Wrongs. We screened it on uh, Twitch, on our Cinepunks Twitch channel. It's an amazing movie. And uh, we we double teamed it with something else. And I don't even remember what it was that we paired it with. But one of the movies that we were talking about pairing with was possibly Tiger on the Beat, which is a uh, Chow Yun-Fat focused buddy cop comedy uh, from 88 or 89. I think 89. Yeah, and uh, it's it's pretty well known. It's pretty well regarded as as being and 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 specifically as being a mix of gun fu and kung fu. Uh, to be more clear, uh, obviously we associate uh, movies from that part of the world with martial arts, which is fair and unfair in various ways, but also with the with John Woo and then the movies sort of uh, before and after there was this idea that you could also have action that was just as acrobatic and exciting but it was focused on firearms it wasn't like mm. as much hand-to-hand combat it was people shooting at each other in exciting ways this movie kind of melts those two worlds where you get just as much crazy gun action but then when someone loses their gun they're not like oh no what do I do it's okay now we're gonna do almost traditional martial arts. Like there was some real like old school yeah. style fighting in this movie, which is like, all of that is great. And so people were like, Hey, you know, maybe that's what we could pair with writing wrongs. And we, we ended up going with something else. So when we were thinking about stuff to do, I gave Josh a list of movies I was interested in doing. And this is one of the movies on the list and neither one of us has seen it. And we picked we it, picked it. Yep. And uh, here's the thing about, uh, about tiger on the beat, which we're going to get to, but here's a little preview. If we're only going to talk about the action, this movie fucking rules. Yeah, it does. It's unbelievably well done. Everything well about choreographed. The, yeah, it's oh. so fun. Even the just... even the setups within the context of the story, the setups make sense. Like it's all great until you get to the actual characters of this movie. Yeah. And this is one of the more misogynistic movies we've watched. It's and, pretty. It's pretty rough. It's a very, rough go, and very casually so. You know, like I think sometimes a movie that is a 
about cruelty uh, and has misogynistic stuff in it, I'm actually a little more sensitive to because it's an exploration of that. This movie mm. is casually, it's unconcernedly yeah. misogynistic. It's misogynistic just as like an afterthought. And I think that's why it kind of bummed both of us out. This isn't a movie about man's cruelty or let's say <laughs> uh, one gender's cruelty to another in a in a binary system, right? This is a movie in which it's just about a fun cop. And part of what's fun about this cop is he doesn't respect this woman. Now, I, I do want to say, we'll get to this, but I do want to say, I think part of that isn't actually just misogyny. I think part of this is this kind of morality at play in some of these Hong Kong cop movies yeah. where all of the criminals have to suffer. So even though this woman is only kind of a criminal and the movie does eventually give her a redemption arc that we'll get into when we discuss the movie proper, uh, she still has to suffer. Right. She yeah, still has she to be still treated. To pay for the sin of her crime. Right. And I think that's where it also turned me off. And that's where the movie is allowed to treat her in a way that felt more shitty to me and more sexist to me than if 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 it was a different relationship. Uh but I also think, and this is where the movie will be interesting to talk about, in these Hong Kong cop movies where the criminal has to suffer, the cops still look like assholes. Like, none of these movies are actually, <laughs> like, you could say, like, oh, Tiger on the Beat, that's real copaganda. I'm like, yeah, I guess if the propaganda is cops are idiot assholes who aren't good at their jobs, which is like most of these Hong Kong cop movies. So we'll, we'll get into all that. Before right. that, of course, we want to thank... Some of our sponsors, Josh, who, well, first we'll thank our friends on Patreon. As I said, if you want more in depth about our lives and what's been going on lately and all this stuff, we have a show on Patreon called Lunch with Liam. It's really just, I mean, sometimes there's movie talk, but for the most part, there's no movie talk. There's no media analysis. It's just us sharing about where we're at. And apparently yeah. people like that shit. I don't, I don't fucking know, but life stuff. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, yeah. So who's people, to say, really, if you are one of those people who wants to hear more of us just chatting, Join the Patreon for as little as a dollar, and you'll hear lunch with Liam. Okay, who else do we want to thank, Josh? We want to thank our good friends at LVAC at the Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. We want to thank Chris Reject for always having our backs and supporting us the best he can. And uh, if you need something like a screen-printed T-shirt to promote your band, podcast, and or gaming circle, uh, feel free to hit them up at xlvacx.com. And uh, tell them that Cinepunk sent you, and it'll make all all parties concerned look real cool. Yeah, definitely. When you go to get stuff printed there, drop our name like it matters. It doesn't matter. It, it definitely only, does not only matter. That it, it makes us feel good. So that's really all, all that matters. <laughs> um, of course, we're thanking our friend Aaron Dahlbeck over at SSCoffeeRoasters.com. Uh, Head on over to SS Coffee Roasters for high-quality coffee roasted to order. Uh, uh, also, fine teas and fine tea shirts. Huh? Mm. Uh, enter the code CINEPUNKS for 10% off your order. Uh, earlier, I mentioned Rough Cut. Uh, that's the t-shirt company I do with our buddy Justin Miller, roughcutfanclub.com. Uh, uh, we just wrapped up a Halloween drop. We were hoping to squeeze in another Halloween drop before Halloween, but uh, similarly to us, uh, Justin had his own life stuff, including work trips and getting COVID. So my man, Ooh. yeah, my man has been up and down. Uh, so, you know, whatever. We, 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 that's another thing where we're just not making the kind of money where we can keep a schedule. But we're trying to get stuff out. <laughs> I'll tell you what, assuming it comes out uh, soon, I think people are going to be stoked on our. I think our next drop is going to be exciting for people. So keep an eye out on our Instagram. Go join our mailing list on the website, roughcutfanclub.com. Uh, and then finally, of course, this episode, like every episode of the last few years, is uh, edited and made to sound great by our buddy Sharky over at Mechanical Shark Media. 
uh, Sharky's the best. He's been doing a bunch of uh, stuff related to uh, skateboarding, skateboarding and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. My man has so many interests. I mean, it, when you think, you know, one of the stereotypes that not everyone lives up to, but one of the stereotypes of ADHD is like folks who have a bunch of different interests that they get really invested in and then do amazing stuff and then just move on. Like that's so sharky. Like everything he does is awesome, but he always has some new thing that I'm like, shit, this is what we're doing now. All right. <laughs> and he'll be like, he'll literally, there'll be a post like, I started skating again. It's just him and a skateboard. I'm like, okay. And then it's like, hey, I built a ramp. And I'm like, hey, wait, you did what? <laughs> oh, okay. Like, he's just always doing awesome stuff. So, mechanicalsharkmedia.com. Shark is the best. We love you, Sharky. Hey. Yes. That's hey. all the thank yous. I guess. That's good. Oh, and then we, uh, fuck. We don't talk about the movie. Wait, yet. we did the thank you thing. Yeah. And then we got to do. Did we tell Sharky we love him? We did. Okay. And we were okay. even nice to Chris Reject, which is weird. We, yeah, that, that was a thing. I don't know. Are we going off script? What's happening? I don't know. It's like, whack it, whack on, it track. on track. Oh, I got you. I got you. Did you see that? I knew it was coming. Oh, man. That was good. That was real good. You, so, predicted, Liam, you predicted my shift. Liam, what have you done recently that is whack and or on track? I got to tell you, it's mostly nothing over here. But that's, <laughs> as I said, and again, those of you on Patreon know this from listening to Lunch with Liam. Uh, you know, I only recently got back from my, my mom's place. So my mom had a major surgery. My stepdad is a little old and also had major surgery recently, sort of unexpectedly. My, my mom's been dealing with this heart thing. And then, uh, my stepdad had a very minor, but had a heart attack and had to have a, uh, have, have a, a stint put in. So, uh, he's not exactly able to like take care of her while she's dealing with her surgery. So I flew home to take care of that. Funny enough, flew home for the weekend of the Unbroken show and could not go to the Unbroken show. So that sucks. Mm. Uh, but it is what it is. And the high point is I got to be there for my mom. And she was yeah. very appreciative. And I felt very much like I was there for her when she needed it and was able to help her out a bunch. So that's great. Hopefully she's still doing Like last time I talked to her, she's doing okay. She's getting better. But, you know, it's rough. You know, heart surgery yeah. at, you know, uh, 77 years old or whatever is like not. Not an easy, not an easy thing. So well, she's uh, very fortunate to have you. Oh, I appreciate that, Josh. So uh, not a lot of free time to do fun shit. I will say uh, I watched a little movie called When Evil Lurks. Ah, did you watch this? Shader. No, I haven't had a chance to see it. Oh, man. I So here's the thing. I think it's good. I think it's a good movie. My immediate response when the movie was over, Josh, was that I wasn't sure that it was actually a good movie, but I still gave it four stars because it fucked me up so bad. Mm. Like, it really fucked me up. And I think, like, you know, uh, mileage will vary with people. But for me, there's a certain level of cruelty in this movie uh, and an unwillingness to take into account people's sensitivities. Because when people watch a, a, a movie... A lot of people, at least, when they're watching a, a movie that involves fear and violence, mm. they're ready to watch all the adults eat shit, right? Right. They're ready for the adult humans to eat shit. But you know who they don't want to see get hurt? Who? Kids and pets. Kids and yeah. pets should be safe. I and this it. This movie's straight up like, fuck both your kids and pets. Ah. We're going to do whatever we want. And not only that, we're going to tease you with it. There's a moment, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but there's a moment where there's a line just a few minutes earlier about when the evil comes, it it is attracted to, you know, this, that, the other, but it messes with, with, with kids and with pets. Right. Mm. 
And right after that, we get a close-up of a dog. And you just know that at oh, some no. point, this dog is going to do something bad. Yeah. But then they drag it out throughout the scene. And all this other stuff is happening, but they keep going back to the dog. And you're like, fuck, I know something's going <laughs> to... It made me so tense, that part, which I'm not even going to reveal what happens, actually, that uh-huh. I, I closed my computer. Like, I just said, you know what? I'm going to go do something else for a little bit because I, I, I know what's going to happen and not know, but I suspect what's going to happen. And I think I, I can't handle this tension right now. And I literally walked away from this movie for like almost an hour and then came back to it and started again. Jeez. And I was right, by the way, it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. And it really fucked me up. Now, that being said, I don't know that it will impact everyone the same way. Some people also don't give a fuck about children and <laughs> and dogs. Yeah. Or anyone for that matter, and this might not get to them. Uh, it's still a very well made movie, I think. It's just mm. after I finished it, I was so focused on the effect it had on me because it's been a long time since a horror movie has made me feel that uncomfortable mm. and actually afraid. In fact, really, I was watching it on my computer. Right, we had dinner the next night before I was going to fly home. Right, and I was mm. watching it on my computer with my mom while she was watching something on TV. And then at dinner the next night, my mom was making fun of me because she's like, I have not seen you act like that to a movie since you were a kid. Like, Mm -hmm. I think of you as someone who, like, doesn't care about anything in a movie. But you were, like, cringing and, like, covering your face a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, it was making me uncomfortable. Uh, (laughs) I don't want to say it's like a deep terror kind of movie. Like, it gave me anxiety. And when the violence happened, the violence was brutal and uncomfortable. It didn't get under my skin the way some movies do with just like the high tension of the creeping dread. You know what I mean? Mm, Yeah. But the violence is very effective and there is a certain anxiety of like, I don't know what this movie is going to do next. So I think in that way, it's, it's pretty good. I think for some folks, it's a little uncertain, some of the plot stuff, but I really love the world building and I thought the performance is really strong. So mm. I'm about it. I'm, I'm a, I'm a thumbs up on when evil lurks, as long as you can handle real brutal shit. But that's, you know, as far as movie stuff, that's about it. I've been rewatching the haunting of Hill house with Suze. Cause you know, we, we didn't have enough time to watch a lot of movies together uh, for our Halloween, but we had some time for these for episodes of the TV show. And she's watched the other Mike Flanagan projects on Netflix and enjoyed them. But I knew this one was, you know, I don't know how other people feel, but for me, and I haven't watched the new one yet, but for me, Hill House is the actually scary one, right? Like Bly Manor wasn't really scary. Midnight Mass wasn't really scary. Whatever the other one was, the Midnight Club or whatever, wasn't yeah. really scary. But you know, Hill House, it, there are a lot of places where they dole down the fear and they break it up. But there's some jump scares in that movie that are, are in that TV show that are like epic, just unbelievable shit. Mm. And so I've been waiting to watch it with Suze, but she's willing to watch it for spooky season. We didn't get it done in October. We have one more episode. But if y'all, those have seen it, the part in the car where they're having the argument and Ugh. then the sister yeah. shows up, she screams so loud and reacted so intensely she i I thought she was going to kill our little kitty just because she was like petting the kitty in a very loving way and then it happened she went "Ah!" and squeezed the kitty tight (laughs) it was so funny i mean it it was kind of not it was kind of more shocking in the moment but then afterwards it was very funny so uh but that's about it like i said there's a lot of movies i want to see right now uh but i just haven't been able to really get out to the theater yet but i'm hoping this week into next week i'll be able to catch a couple things actually in a real theater and, and oh, get back nice. into that vibe. That's my hope. Good work. Good work. <laughs> what about you, Joshua? Uh, I've been busy. I know it's weird. Um, so crazy. 
But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a pretty eventful couple of weeks here in good old Philadelphia. I got to say, I got to do um, the weekend that you were home and didn't see us. I got to do merch for Damnation at the Damnation um, Unbroken Blacklisted gig at uh, the church. And um, Taylor to the stars and uh, the one my, my teammate and the world's greatest table team uh, duo. Uh, for merch tables everywhere, Grace Kim came down to Philadelphia for New York to help me vend uh, for the show. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, that was very helpful because it was uh, a lot of people, a lot of people in these sold out church shows, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's funny, too, because, um, you know, we haven't seen Damn, I haven't seen Damnation since um, Halo of Snakes played with them in 2008. And um, I've never seen Unbroken, nor have I ever seen Blacklisted. And uh, as you know, Liam, Unbroken has been one of my favorite bands since I started listening to hardcore. So like being able to see them at home was like a very big deal for me. You know what I mean? Like, oh, man, in the church, no less. And um, despite not knowing much about Blacklisted, um, my bandmate from the Solarize days, Mr. Jeffrey Ziga, is playing drums for them. So it was good to see Jeff behind the kit again. And um, just to, that band was ferocious. Like I didn't know. And then Liam was like, yo, you got to check this band out. Cause they're good. And uh, then I listened to it and I'm like, ah, oh, this is good. And then going to see them for the first time in Philadelphia in however many years or whatever it was, it was funny too. Cause Jeff was already in blacklisted when we were in Solarize together. And um, all the stories about blacklisted are like ridiculous stories, right? Like they're just insane. And um, I remember being like, wow, I wonder what this band sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> that's so crazy to me so back when they were still active you never got to see them never saw them wow yeah that was probably during the time when i was like in north jersey and just mostly going to new york new jersey shows so you know i get it it's cool but it was funny because they covered ink and dagger oh, and yeah. uh oh, yeah. i was like holy shit well so a couple things number one um as you know, my coworker, Mr. Roberto Red Cheeks, um, he is a big Damnation fan as well. And there was a story about how he had given them a, t a picture that they'd used on a shirt or something. And uh, one of my very best pals, Mr. Mike DC, was like, yeah, what do you want for this? And Robbie was like, oh, I don't need any money or anything. Just let me sing No More Dreams the next time you guys play in Philadelphia. And that show was two weeks ago on a fucking uh, Saturday in the church. Perfect. And, or a Friday, sorry, Friday night. And um, Robbie was like, before the set, when Damnation were getting ready and everything, he's like, I'm going to sing No More Dreams. It's going to be awesome. And I was like, all right, man. But you do know that's like a seven-minute song, it's right? So You're going to be long, staying right? there forever. And Robbie was like, fuck it, man. I'm going for it. And then um, they played it last, of course. And, like, that's the other thing. I was, like, ready to, like, throw down for Damnation like uh, we used to do. And let me tell you, I did not throw anything. I stood there and watched Kevin Hare go crazy. And then I was just like, or I'm going to sit down because I'm not built for this anymore. I'm not built for the full combat dance anymore. So um, I didn't mosh run broken either. But, uh, yeah, Robbie got on stage and, and they did um, No More Dreams at the end of the set. And um, Damnation were pretty much in top form. Like, I thought that they sounded just as good as they, as I remembered them. You know what I mean? Because I did see them a bunch back in the day. So, And then Unbroken came on. And um, that shit is just fucking great, man. I still love all that shit. And they're, like, whoever's playing drums for them was better this time. So uh, it doesn't sound like the record. But uh, I don't know. Maybe that dude practiced. It's cool. 
Um, <laughs> please don't. I don't think anyone in Unbroken would hear this, but it's fine. I'm sorry if I'm I'm talking shit. But those guys are fucking incredible, and it was super fun to watch. And then Blacklisted came on, and they destroyed everybody. It was it was a really really fun show. I watched footage of both bands from that night, and it's crazy to me. Like, a that Unbroken sounds good. Like at this point, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, older dudes, you know, doing reunions. They've done some other ones, but this is like you know a a big deal that they still sounded so tight and were really great but you know i shouldn't be surprised by blacklisted but i am only in that like they were such a crazy band back when they were still active that you kind of expect some drop off right you expect yeah and and maybe there's a little bit in the sense of like maybe you know george is i guess a little older and maybe has a little less energy but for the most part tearing down yeah that's what i'm saying for the most part it really felt like the same old blacklisted, which is crazy because they have been on a you know hiatus or whatever it is forever. Like it, it's not really that long, but it feels like forever to me before yeah. since they played a show. And I think people forget a little bit because, but since they last played a show, they did release some music. I think they put out a little bit of music maybe six years ago, seven years ago. I forget. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm bad at time stuff, so forgive me if I'm way off. But I think they put out music, and so people haven't thought about like it's got to be a long time since the last time they played certainly in philly so anyway Mm. i'm just stoked that they played that show and it seems really cool sad i missed it it, but it is what it is it was cool it was very fun i mean like all the homies were in the house you know melani came out like it was a good it was a good time to hang out at the church and like just you know kind of celebrate the thing that we love with bands that i'd never seen before so that was cool and then uh just this past week i got to see quicksand at underground arts Awesome. And uh, true to form, it was one of those, like, walk in, what's up, Philadelphia? We're quicksand. They play, and then it was like, all right, thank you, good night. And then we're out. It was, like, the perfect show experience. <laughs> but that was just another state where it was just, like, I walked in, and, like, everybody that we knew was there. Me and Melani went, because Melani loves uh, Mr. Walter Schreifels, which cool. is cool, which is cool. And um, it was the 30-year anniversary of Slip. So they played Slip from front to back. And uh, I fucking love that record. It's a and perfect record. It's, you know, d- much disrespect to our friend Chris Reject, who still hates on quicksand uh, to his very bones. Uh, it, it's a slip is a perfect record. It's, yeah, it's, man. it's front to back. Perfect record. Banger. Every track is a banger. No skips. And it was funny, too, because it's like so I don't know if you managed to see quicksand when they put out those last two records or whatever. Yeah. But they've been playing as a trio. Because uh, yeah. uh, Tom yeah, Capone yeah, yeah. is apparently still in jail, so I'm told. And um, okay, whatever. It's still quicksand, but is it? Because you know, without those guitar leads and that layering texture, it kind of didn't sound like quicksand to me. Which I get it. You make do with what you got, and you know. And then the last time I saw them was when they opened for Clutch at uh, the Electric Factory of all places, and uh, Steve Brodsky from Caven was playing second guitar. And it sounded better, but like, you know, they were on tour with these like big bands and all this other stuff. So they weren't giving us like the club vibe. Plus, it was like, um, you know, Franklin Music Hall, uh, formerly the uh, Electric Factory. So it's just like, yeah, you know, it's fine. Like me and Rick were there. We're like, oh, man, if they play anything before, <laughs> like around Manic Compression and earlier, we're going off. And they didn't. So we didn't. And then um, at this show, it was they just dude you hear those opening bass lines and it was like they were on fire 
And again, Stephen Brodsky was on second guitar and he was singing backups and stuff. And it just sounded so fucking full. And it was an underground arts. So like it was I'm, super packed. Ah. I mean, we need to put respect on Brodsky's name. He's he's played in a lot of great projects. Yeah. I, even, Man, I even liked his solo record he put out a while ago when I was in my, you know, I had this kind of transition period where I was like listening to less emo, but still wanted more softer guitar music. And there was a little bit of like mathy progressive stuff I was listening to. Some of that stuff is still a little too nerdy for me, uh, you know, even then. Uh, mm. But at the time, that's those Stephen Prodsky projects. They just were so satisfying because his voice is amazing. His guitar yeah. playing is amazing. He's just really impressive as a musician. So when I heard he joined up with Quicksand, I thought, oh, that makes sense. Like that is a combo that really oh, actually man. makes sense in my brain. It's so fucking good. He had the wah pedal going. My man was wah, wah, wahing it up, and it sounded so tough. Like, it just sounded so cool. And um, I still did not get moshing because here's yeah, the reality, Liam. Your boy's old, man. Like, yeah. I am old as shit. And uh, I, it, it's cool. Like, that was the thing, right? Like, I stood up front for Damnation because, like, that's my boy singing. Like, you know, I want to see all the homies. And uh, I, I didn't touch the mosh. I did not, nary not one foot set foot into not one foot to get set inside the mosh pit. Sure. And the next day I still had a bang over the next day. I was still just like, why does everything hurt? Like it was standing now is, is the issue, I guess. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, quicksand played, I sang along the whole time I was hanging out with, uh, well, me and Melani were hanging out and, um, uh, Brian Yan was there and Pat Engelman, like all the homies and Rick and Lauren. Uh, but I spent the the set of quicksand staying next to uh, Matty O'Brien, good old uh, dog wig from Asbury Park. So oh, it was cool yeah. to see him. And uh, that was awesome. And then the next day, I went, uh, Melani and I got invited to the 10 year anniversary of the True Hand Society, which is the tattoo collective founded by Mr. Michael Ski. You would remember from uh, I the I can't believe it's been 10 years. Yeah, yeah. And dude, the church looks incredible. So for those of you not native to Philadelphia or not uh, not in touch with like the tattoo community, um, Mike Ski does True Hand Society, which not only focuses on tattooing, but that's the primary thing. But they also do a lot of like signage and like graphic design for local businesses. So if you've walked on Frankfurt Ave around all the stuff that's really fun on Frankfurt Ave, you'll notice that there's a very distinct style to all the signage to all these stores in that particular corridor. And they're all due to Mr. Mike. And, uh, and the shit is dope, but his tattooing style is wild too. And all this takes place in a beautiful converted church that still has a pipe organ. So um, I've never been in the new that that place. You know, I guess it's not new at this point, but I've never been in there. Yeah, it's fucking great, man. Next time you come home, we should get tattooed in there. But yeah, so we were at a true hand for their prom. They did a prom. Oh, that's a semi-formal great. prom event. And uh, I wore a white suit with gold filigree. And uh, matching uh, gold ascot and dookie chain. And um, Melani looked adorable as well. So, you know, we looked good. And um, we uh, got to the party and we hung out. And I got to talk to Mike a little bit. And um, saw a few people, including uh, my homie Sheep. And um, a couple other homies just that I know from around. So that was cool. And then um, Mark Beamer, photographer to the stars, was with us as well. And then we dipped from that party. And then we got into the Paint It Black show at the church, um, which was happening at the same night. And it was, uh, it was Paint It Black and Peg Boy. 
and Radiator Hospital. And um, I forget the name of the, uh, uh, oh, Hers, the Hers Collective played, but I, I missed it. And um, yeah, 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 I fucked up. But um, that said, that was another fun rocking night. And it was crazy pants seeing all the homies like Andrew and Devin were there and Adolf came out and Richie was at the show. And um, Wags got me in. So I got to hang out with Wags at the show for a little bit. It was just incredible electric energy the entire night. Super fun. Uh, well, I, okay, okay, okay. Um, electric energy for most of the bands. The one band that I really was excited to see, which is the band that I had never seen before, oh, yeah? was Peg Boy. And oh, um, really? what's your relationship with that band? Do you like that band or not? Never, never listened to them before. I don't. Oh. I don't. I don't know. I know the name, right? And I'm uh-huh. aware of the vibe, I guess. Let's say, right? But I, I couldn't name a song. Okay, well, here's the thing. I've grown up listening to Strong Reaction. It's one of those, like, is it hardcore, is it punk? Like, I don't fucking know. I like it. You know, it comes from the same vein that would give you a band like Naked Raygun, right? Sure, and love Naked Raygun. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get the vibe, right? Um, these guys are all pushing 60, and they kept on mentioning it. Oh, no. And um, it was like listening to my favorite records by them played at halftime. Oh, no. And uh, I mean, it was still powerful. It was still strong. And Lord knows if I get to be 59 years old and have the privilege of still standing in front of people doing the thing that I love to do, um, you know, that will be a blessing. But that said, <laughs> my man, in between songs is just the sound of him breathing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, boy. Uh, I don't know. And then they played um, they played a Mission of Burma song and it was cool, but it was also just like, ah. You know, like, ah, so that was a thing. That was a thing. But then Paint of Black came on and my goodness, like that shit was in. It was funny, too, because Radiator Hospital played. Do you know this band at all? So uh, I've only listened to them a little bit. Uh, I used to one of the guys in the band I used to work with at Little Babies. He was one of the ice cream makers at Little Babies. And he would talk about his band. And I checked him out at the time and thought, like, oh, this band's pretty good, but never really cared about it. And then when I when they announced this painted black show, and I was feeling a lot of FOMO and I reposted the thing, I was more focused on, you know, seeing like, you know, here's and stuff like that. And uh my buddy out here, Ed, was they were like yo radiator hospital and i was like wait what and they were like yeah that's one of my favorite bands i'm like what are you talking about and they were like yo you gotta listen so i've listened a little more i think i'm i think i'm into it but i haven't i haven't really dug in enough to have a strong opinion but the dude i used to work with was really cool so that's that's a plus so you know that's cool yeah it's not really my cup of tea um but it was really funny because they played and the room was packed with a bunch of young people. And oh, then, sure. then Pegboy were on next and all of those young people left and all of the old people standing outside smoking cigarettes and shit came inside. And it was like a legitimate changing of the guard. It was the funniest thing I'd ever seen at a show in a long time. So, um, yeah, that happened. Um, but then That's everybody, so everybody I mean, was there for it, painted black. So weird, you know? Yeah. It was really, really funny. But, um, but yeah, that was super, uh, super fun show. It was a good time hanging out with all the homies and um, chilling and stuff. And it was fun. As far as movie stuff goes, I saw the new Sofia Coppola movie. Priscilla. Oh, Priscilla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How was that? Um, so it's a biopic about Priscilla Presley, specifically her time when she was married to Elvis Presley. And uh, it is taken from her memoir. You know sure. what I'm saying? 
And uh, the funny thing about it is I noticed at the beginning, there is like a huge title card talking about like taken from the memoir of Priscilla Presley, you know, and um, the movie proceeds to be a Sofia Coppola movie. So it's a lot of like anachronistic needle drops in a, which is essentially a period piece. You know what I mean? And uh, it's very attractive leads. Um, apparently the dude who plays Elvis was also in euphoria. Cause Melanie's a big fan of that show. Um, that's a handsome man. That's a, attractive young man and yeah. uh the young lady playing priscilla was also uh, very pretty as well um as far as the narrative goes it leans pretty heavily into um the less than um favorable aspects of their relationship in particular to elvis's uh proclivities towards drugs and young ladies and all this other stuff and it, it casts um him in a pejorative light, I will say. And um, as the backlash is coming out now against this movie, it's definitely interesting to hear um, a lot of people being like, well, you know, that's not how Elvis really was and all this other stuff. And um, the whole big deal being made of the fact that it's taken from the Priscilla Presley autobiography at the beginning now feels a little more salient than it did at the beginning of me watching this movie. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I'm really a Sofia Coppola movie fan. Or really? Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I had a very strong reaction to Lost in Translation and that kind of cut me off after that. So, but I did like the Virgin Suicides and I haven't gone back to it, but I imagine it probably still holds. But overall, I just am not a fan, you know? And it's interesting. It's, it's my fault and I get it. You know, I can't get past the no, Lost no, no, in no, Translation no. I, thing. But I don't think Lost in Translation is your fault. Like, I think that it makes sense your complaint about that and when somebody does something like that that really bums you out it's okay to be like skeptical of the rest of their shit you know yeah until, or at least until something on, stands out yeah, yeah not have it on the the top of my list to go get into the next one but like that was one of the movies that was like big buzz around it and so i was like all right man like let's do this you know and um yeah i don't know uh overall it was i thought it was really beautiful it's a very pretty movie um, it's the skinniest fat Elvis you'll ever see. I'll say that much because there's the, they get into the fat Elvis era and he's in the jumpsuit. And it's like, come on, bruh. You know what that fucking looked like. And it doesn't look like no, that, you know what I'm saying? Like you can do right, better. Right. But, um, again, overall it was fine. I mean, I was just, it was just fine for me. Um, yeah. And, and that's all I got. I'm curious about it. I honestly just don't give a fuck about Elvis. Yeah, I will say it's kind of interesting because um, apparently Priscilla Presley, who is still alive, yes, yes, was very involved in the making of the movie because she didn't want it to seem like just like a hit piece on Elvis. Like it was very important to her that it be more nuanced and that she was really worried it would come across as like just entirely anti Elvis and she feels like it's not that which makes me feel like that the reality must have been pretty shitty if you think that yeah. this is not so bad like oh no I thought they did an okay job making him seem not so bad I'm like okay well then that says to me that the actual reality is probably far worse than what's in the movie I mean like and that's the thing man like the shit is bad in the movie she's like 14 when they start dating there's no way around that though, right? You can't yeah. make the movie and have her not be 14, right? Like that's just the reality of the that's, situation. Yeah. So then if that's not that bad, then I don't know what to tell you, man. Like 
all right. Like if a 20 year old dude that I'm friends with is like, yeah, I got this girlfriend. She's 14. I would definitely have some words. You know what I mean? Like there's no possible way to cast that in a not negative light. So, I mean, say what you will. It's, it's fucked up, man. I don't know. But again, whatever. What do I know? Like, you know, rich people in, in Graceland do things differently than one of my guess. one of my favorite. I don't actually listen to the podcast, but one of my favorite Internet things is when people just take clips from Danny Brown's podcast where he answers questions and the, he his responses to people's questions are always hilarious to me. And one of these was this dude's like, hey, yeah, my, my friend is dating someone who's un, who's underage. She's 17, but he's like 20 something. Is it okay that I don't fuck with him on this or, or am I being a bad friend? And Dave Brown was like, don't fuck with him. That, that dude needs to get beat up. He didn't say dude, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to mm. use the word he used, but he's a, this needs to get beat up, especially because at one point he's describing it. And I, you know, I told him like, well, it's not cool. Cause she's under 18. And he said, it could be worse. And when Danny Brown reads that in the question, he goes, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> it could be worse. What the fuck? And I, I, that's just what I thought. Like when you were talking about this, like she's 14 and Priscilla's Presley's like, well, the movie could be more of a hippie. So it's like, it could be. Like what? What are you talking about? So I, like, I I I just think like there's this thing. I, I do wonder when I hear about those relationships. I don't. It's hard for me to take entirely seriously the perspective of the younger person because when you fall in love at a young age, and if that person didn't do something utterly grotesque to you, and you still care about them, you're not going to have the perspective to go. Maybe this was a bad idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that's that's up to the adults to say, hey, now is maybe not the time. You know, like this is yeah. not how this is supposed to go. And so, like, it's it's hard to when 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 the person in the relationship is the other person. Again, I don't want to be a hard uh, a hard ass about that. Even though to me it's fucking gross. You know, it is more common than than people realize. And maybe it's maybe it's just a change in society. Like, I I want to be open to all the caveats that weirdos make but on a deep level to me it's fucking so obviously gross that like i don't know i don't know how i'm supposed to take anything serious you know what i mean like when the person's like well but they love me we had a loving relationship it's like really hard for me to take that seriously even though i want to respect their personhood some part of me is like well of course you think that you were a fucking kid like how would you fucking know you know so it's a really hard balance because it's not usually in my nature to completely discount someone's perspective on their own life but it is hard to take it as seriously when you know when stuff happens to you as a kid it's hard to have an objective view on it you know yeah of course because you're not an adult you're not like you don't have those safeguards and none of us are objective but you know yeah whatever i think people understand what i mean so again not that i'm trying to disrespect priscilla over here but i'm like well just because she thinks it's okay doesn't mean it is okay yeah for sure it's a rough style i mean there's a lot of other stuff in there too there's a lot of like slapping around and a lot of drugs and all this which again is just like dog what like I don't know. Not that I had any reverence for Elvis to begin with, but it also is just like, dude, if that's the better perception, then Jesus Christ, man. I saw I, I saw a little video about the, a time in Madison, Wisconsin, well, where Elvis jumped out of his limo to stop two guys from fighting each other, and how at this gas station where he did this, it was like literally a month before he died. There's a little memorial to him stopping this fight, and how the people were like, "What the fuck? Are you Elvis?" Like it was like really weird. You know? <laughs> and that was the first story I heard about him where I thought, "Oh, maybe Elvis is all bad." <laughs> <laughs> but that's just my bias, yeah. you know. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
All right. Uh, anything else, Josh? No, no, that's what I did. All right. Well, uh, good catch up time, but we got to talk about this just straight up weird mixed bag of a movie, uh, Tiger on the Beat. Uh, so I guess we'll take a break and come yeah. back and talk about it. Let's do that. All right. All right. In a bit. We're here to talk about Tiger on the Beat, the Chow Yun Fat movie from 1988. Oh, wow. Golden Age of Hardcore. Ready? Yeah. A seasoned cop and his rookie partner are a pair of mismatched partners in this Hong Kong action comedy in the style of Lethal Weapon. I, uh, by the way, I saw that comparison a few different places. It's two cops. Otherwise, this is nothing like Lethal Weapon. Nothing like Lethal Weapon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, The wacky twosome are up in arms as they try to solve the murder of a heroin trafficker. And this is the problem with... I I don't want to get immediately into criticism, but this is the problem with the movie, right? The movie is trying to be a wacky buddy cop thing, right? But Uh what you have is uh, Chow Yun-Fat as Sergeant Francis Lee, and he is the wacky one. And his wackiness is that he's bad at his job, Mm -hmm. He's and a, that he's it's a, known that he's bad at his everybody job. Everybody knows he sucks at his job and that he only he's only a sergeant because his uncle is the head of the department, right? And he's a womanizer. And unsurprisingly, like a lot of uh, Lothario men, he also is a misogynist, which isn't entirely up front, but becomes clear later on. So at first you're just like, oh, he just likes to fuck around, whatever. But it's pretty quick becomes clear that he doesn't respect a lot of women. There's not a lot of strong female characters in this movie that he treats with any sort of like respect. The closest you get is his sister, which like doesn't really count, you know? Um, and then his partner, uh, played by Conan Lee, who I've seen in other things and liked, uh, uh-huh. his CID officer, uh, Michael, Michael Tao, Michael Tsao. I don't know how to say it right, but, uh, 
he there's a big joke around his name and i didn't get it it's it there's it's like a pun in whatever i think this is is this mandarin or cantonese i don't know but there's a pun around his name that does not hit with us at all right okay and cool. and, and then here's the other deal with conan lee he is an amazing martial artist just unbelievable as a martial arts performer he is a dead spot in this movie. There's no personality there. <laughs> the personality of his character is he's a rookie who takes the job too seriously, which really just means he's mean to people for no reason. Like he just grabs random random people and tries to like frisk them. It's like not interesting at all. And yeah. so because so much of the charisma of the movie relies on Chow Yun-Fat, and it's not that Chow Yun-Fat is not charismatic. If you've only seen no. Chow Yun-Fat in Crouching Tiger... Hey, why are you you listening to this podcast? Hard-boiled? But what I'm saying is, if you only know him from his more stoic roles, you Uh, might not know that he is a funny, kind of sexy guy. Like, that's his vibe. I'm not surprised he's this character. But as the character is written, his charisma does not carry the character. The character is lame and stupid and not really that funny. There's a couple of... But this is the thing. This action scenes where he is kind of funny... It's the choreography that's selling the scene, right? Yeah. Like where the guy is making them s- throw their pants to him so he could run away. Okay. Yeah, and I, that's I was, fine. That, that was a, yeah. I thought that was funny, but that's not about the character that he's playing. It's not about Sergeant Francis Lee. Sergeant Francis Lee sucks, and he's not funny, and he's shitty at his job, and none of that is amusing to me. And honestly, this is one of the few of these kind of movies where I thought, could we spend more time with the villains? The villains yeah. are way more. I want to know about this weird Australian surfer gang. <laughs> like, what that's, is that? That's running the criminal world in Hong Kong. That whole aspect of the movie, uh, other than just the love, I, the love I have for these kind of movies being, well, the the real bad guy has to be a white guy, right? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Let's make the real <laughs> bad guy white guy. I love that inclination, but otherwise, it doesn't make sense. They don't make any sense, right? Yeah, it's you've got these weird like gender fluid white karate people. It's what is it's, happening. Yeah. Oh, and and the idea of making the white guy both speak in a offensively stereotypical gay voice, like he's doing like a a, a gaysent or whatever you want to call it, a queer yeah. accent, right? And then he's like threatening to like sexually assault this woman, and he just loves coke and threatening everyone, and you're just like, uh, this is just meant to be shitty on white people, which I guess is okay, but the homophobia of it all kind of bums me out. I do want to mention before we a, a couple of facts before we get into the deal. This was directed by uh, Chai Lang Liu. I think I, uh-huh. I don't know if I said that right. People, he was an actor as well as a director. But as far as a, a director, I just was about to say some of his stuff, and I realized, oh no, those are him as an actor. Uh, you might have seen The Legend of Drunken Master, which he directed. Oh yeah. You might have seen uh, Martial Arts of Shaolin, Disciples of the Thirty Six Chamber. Um, going back further, Dirty Ho. Actually, I have on my list to watch Dirty Ho. I hear it's amazing. Uh, Heroes of the East. So he's done previously a lot of classic stuff. And most importantly, of course, the two that I think are the most, well, maybe not the best, but the most kind of important uh, historically in this genre, 36 Chambers of Shaolin mm. and Executioners from Shaolin. So we're nice. talking about the movie that basically made Wu-Tang, right? Right. And is one of the best martial arts movies ever made. And Executioners from Shaolin, which is maybe lesser known, but is one of my favorites and also very important for Wu-Tang Clan. So I don't know how many people think of him as doing later Hong Kong action, but he also didn't do a lot of it, right? You've got Tiger Mm. on the Beat. You've got Mad Mission 5. You've got Tiger on the Beat 2. 
And that's it. And then he got the Drunken Master movie movies, like he did The Legend of Drunken Master, and he did Drunken Master 3. And then he did Drunken Monkey. And that's it. So, like, this genre is not really his genre of movie. I don't know if that's why, character-wise, some of this movie doesn't work. But it is worth knowing that this was directed by, honestly, a fucking legend, right? Like, I don't yeah. want to disrespect the man. He did amazing stuff. And as an actor, he was also in a lot of things that are great. But maybe this is just not the genre for him, man, because this movie, it, it was rough. To get into a little bit more, what, what your thinking was about this movie, what worked for you, and what you hated about it. I hated all the parts with the talking. Um, <laughs> mostly the, the fighting is the best stuff in this movie. And let me just say, man, like the action sequences in this movie are genius. Like there's not enough of them, but the ones that are there are fucking brilliant, right? Like they're insanely well choreographed and well executed. And all the players in the, in the scenes are like, they're in it. You know what I mean? Like they're going for it, but my goodness, the rest of this movie is just a bunch of flotsam and jetsam, baby boy. It's, it's a tough watch for sure. Cause it's like, it, it's everything that we're, we're, we're like, you know, hating on cops for <laughs> like, you guys suck at your job and you're just hurting random people. Like what is, how is that funny? And um, yeah, the misogyny of this movie is so nascent to me. It's not even like a below board. It's like just them slapping people around and stuff. And it's just like, God, you're just kicking this lady in the stomach dog. Like for real. And you're wearing a fresh Prince shirt while you're doing it. Like what is happening here? Um, It's, there's just a lot. To I I the lethal weapon comparison a bridge too far I'm gonna put that out there, and um I've not seen any comedies with Charlie and Fat in it so I don't know about this comedic side of uh otherwise a stoic action stalwart. Well, I have seen him be charming and, and charming. And, I can give you yeah and, you okay. know kind of sexy. I don't think he's just like you know like you know uh, Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon that character is so. Stuck. removed yeah. and so you know i think so even even like a movie like hard boiled he's tough in it but he has a character you know like there's yeah. charisma there this character and, that he's supposed to be in this he cannot carry it's no. again it's not about his acting it's that he can't make this script funny the script yeah. is not funny it is not the jokes don't really work and then there is such an added and again when at first he's a little dismissive of women I'm thinking, well, it's 1988. He's supposed to be a shitty cop. That's okay. It is really when so so this is a this is a drug uh a uh, a uh, 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 drug dealing story. He's as we sort of hinted when we read the description, he's a he's a veteran cop who's not great at his job. He's mostly lazy. He gets yeah. this rookie cop who doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's very good motivated. Yeah, and he's very motivated. He's very good at like martial arts and shit, but he doesn't really know how to like talk to criminals to get information or any of that kind of stuff, right? And so they have this kind of relationship, but they're also like, they don't really care about this case. They're only invested to further their own careers, which to be fair, I kind of like, I'm actually okay with that because, and this is one of the complexities with these Hong Kong cop movies. I never know if these movies are meant to be copaganda and they just fail at it, or if they fully aware that the cops in these movies suck and are shitty. And that's just their view of cops. But in this movie, it's like, 
all the drug dealers, even the sympathetic drug dealers kind of suck, right? Like yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we yeah, meet yeah. this guy who's in the gang, but him and his sister fled to Hong Kong from mainland China and they're not having a good time and they want to go back to mainland China. So they're really trying to just raise money so they can go back. And his sister knows that when she does this stuff for him, that it's probably drugs, but she's not sure exactly what's happening. She just runs whatever. But the drugs that he's getting her to deliver he's stealing from his boss so he's really that's really the complexity of the story is they just want to catch this this drug dealer but they find an in through this guy and his sister and the relationship to the sister i i when it's hostile at first i kind of get it because she's a criminal in their minds and they're shitty cops and and they think that she's associated with the other criminals who have already shown themselves to be ruthless murderers so they're thinking oh she's part of this gang whatever Mm. that all kind of narratively makes sense but the level of hostility soon goes to a level that is rooted in a dismissive misogynist view of women and it's supposed to be balanced by his relationship with his sister but his relationship with his sister is still patriarchal even though he he can't control his sister he still wants to control his sister so when he's disrespecting this woman the sister of the drug dealer uh, in fact, let me get her name. I keep saying that just their like titles, and <laughs> this just because I forget which one is which. So she's Mary Donna. When he's disrespecting Mary Donna, I get that in the narrative you're supposed to think, oh, it's because she's a criminal, and he's just rude. He just is very hostile towards all these criminals, and that's how cops are. But it is still about her being a woman, and it's gross, and it's it, a it's violent. So if you are someone who, you know, is is. In, not uncomfortable because I think almost all of us are uncomfortable with violence against women in that way, but you know, is, is at all sensitive to it. I think, uh, Oh, and the other character is Shirley. Ung, I think, I don't know how to say her last name, but his sister Mimi. So Mimi gets respect, but it's an older brother respect, right? He thinks he can control her. He thinks he can protect her. And he doesn't acknowledge the ways that his sister Mimi is like, kind of filling in the gaps because he's such a fucking loser that without her around, like his life would fall apart. And maybe that's supposed to be funny. Like we're supposed to know as the audience, like uh, he's like a man child, but then he's hitting this other woman. And I don't, I don't know about you, Josh, but I don't love cocaine. I don't love the idea of people <laughs> selling cocaine. I don't yeah. need them to be brutalized. And I certainly don't need them if they're women to be brutalized by this man while he's like calling her shitty things and stuff. And I get that. I think for some people that may just feel like, you know, gritty reality. Yeah. And, and and I will say in its, in its defense, it's not played for laughs. I don't think those moments are meant to be funny, No. but they're still gross and they made me feel gross. And here's the thing. Let's take all that aside. Maybe you're someone for whom all that hitting, all that, disrespect to this woman doesn't matter and maybe you're even really touched by the redemption arc because when they they get to a point that feels like it's the end of the movie where they get the criminals with this woman's help Mm -hmm. and at that point it's pretty clear that he like likes her there's supposed to be like a romance going on which is gross in its own way it's already weird yeah Yeah. what but then they fucking fridge this lady Uh, it's not exactly fridging but it's like a kind of fridging so what does fridging mean Okay, so for people who don't know, I when I texted you this, I wondered if maybe you didn't know what it was. So fridging is a term from comic books where there's a moment where uh, I think it's Green Lantern. Some superhero comes home to find that a, a crazed killer has chopped up his girlfriend who was only introduced you know, a, a little bit ago for like an emotional core, has chopped her up and put her in the fridge. 
And it's become a term for how you get heroes to be motivated by murdering their love interest, you know? Mm. So, for example, you could see the movie Mandy as yeah. having fridging, you know? Fridging kind of, yeah, that's the I, first thing I thought I don't, of. I don't know it. that that's entirely fair to Mandy, you know, because I think it's more complicated than that. But that's the idea. Hey, we have a guy. We want that guy to have a reason for doing stuff, especially stuff in a violent way. We'll just murder his girlfriend or his wife or his love interest. And, you know, this is called fridging. They ba- you basically exist to be murdered. Now, this woman has more of an arc than that, but they just mur- after they've done all this work, because the whole movie pri- previously, she's kind of a joke, right? She's she doesn't understand what's going on. She gives us she's a little bit put of in a situation. Right. By right, her right, mother. Right. And you might judge her a little bit for being a bit naive, right? But she's certainly not treated as a full character at first. And then they slowly develop her, I think, in a way that's kind of gross. The reason that they have that violence against her from Chow Yun-Fat's character is to build sympathy. I think we're supposed to feel sympathy for her because of that scene. It still feels manipulative to me. Mm. But they do this whole arc where we really feel for her and we really have a lot of sympathy for her, partly because she clearly likes Chow Yun-Fat, which is gross too in its own way. (laughs) She clearly has feelings for him and he doesn't realize it because he's too much of a dickhead, you know? And so you're feeling sorry for her in the deepest way and you really want her to live her life. And then they just murder her off. We've got four (laughs) sympathetic characters and we're just going to kill her who's already had to suffer more than the other characters so that these remaining characters have a motivation to like go to war with the drug dealers that's that's fridging that's basically fridging it's it's not at the beginning of the movie but it's far enough into the movie it's 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 far enough before the ending and the climax which is really if you take away the fridging the climax is the best fucking part of the movie it's literally mind-blowingly awesome this climax at at some other level so much so that even if you are grossed out by what we're describing in the rest of this movie just see if you can watch the climax on youtube because that's entirely worth it like it's so fun so it's unbelievably great and it's probably the reason why also keep my gordon lewis in here gordon lewis yeah i was gonna get with hair yeah not only is gordon lewis in here with hair and not only is he the baddest of the badass when it comes to this most of these drug dealers suck. They're not really good at anything. Gordon Liu's character is tough. We get a Gordon Liu chainsaw fight at the end, which I have to say respect to the at least six people I know. So I was looking at my friend's reviews on Letterboxd. At least six people, their review was just Gordon Liu chainsaw fight. That yeah. was it. That was their full review of the movie. And like to be fair, if I was only thinking about that, this would be a four-star movie for me. If I was only <laughs> rating it on just the action sequences, it's like, yeah, it's pretty fucking great. I think I still can't go below a three, despite how gross parts of this movie are, because it's a pretty amazing movie. And if you want to see some unbelievable, when we say unbelievable action and you're not a martial arts fan, you might be thinking of like a Fast and Furious style explosion. No, 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 no. This is people putting their bodies in danger to give you amazing stunts, martial arts, all kinds of stuff. Right. And I think that if they had changed Chow Yun-Fat's character so that he wasn't such a gross dude. I think this movie, though still not funny, would be charming enough that I would like it. Mm. But the only thing they give us about this character, other than that he's bad at his job, which I'm okay with, fuck cops, is that he's mean to women. He's mean to like multiple women, and he's specifically mean to this woman. And I don't give a fuck about that. That's not compelling to me. I don't want that. Like, that's yeah. not what I no. want the whole movie to be based around. Meanwhile, we got our man Conan, right? Uh, uh, <laughs> Conan Lee. Yeah. Conan Lee. He's getting a beating half the time. Like, Chad Fat's not doing shit. And this guy's taking a beating, yeah. being badass. And, you know, and that would be compelling too, but he doesn't have hardly a character there. Yeah, he's just, hardly he's just there to fight and get beat character. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, 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 we're coming at this movie hard because 
it's in a cat it's lumped into a category of of Hong Kong action or at least it has been to me by people where I was so excited because while there might be elements of writing wrongs or elements of yes madam or similar movies across the board that make us uncomfortable you know just from their mm-hmm. era cultural differences whatever however you want to think about it none of them are straight up like took me out of the moment it's just like a oh all right well whatever <laughs> and that's fine this like took me out of the movie man like yeah, i was straight sure. up like Same. distracted from the movie and that's hard to do with a movie that has this much badassery in it uh and if the movie had more badassery then maybe that would be cool but the action doesn't really start till like half an hour in right not like, even yeah like way further into the movie than it should have yeah and so like you know you got to sit through a lot of boring shit to get to the gold and then in between the gold, you get a lot of stuff that like really kind of is a bummer. So it's hard to recommend this movie. I don't hate that we watched it. And I do want to feel like at some point that I've caught up with a lot of Chow Yun-Fat's career because I do really like him as an actor, especially pre-American movies because I think a lot of the U.S. movies are not great that he's in. But mm-hmm. uh, but when it comes to his not America work, yeah, I would love to get more into it. But this I, is I, not the T. Yeah, this I, isn't the entry yeah. point. Yeah. Nah, man. I mean, well, it was fun. I enjoyed the action sequences. Like, legendary. Iconic, even. Unbelievable stuff. Just like the, the big cop ambush where we got our man Conan straight jumping over a car. Unbelievably oh, great. So good. Him the jumping sh- on the ladder to save uh, the sister at the yep. end. What the fuck was that? That the, just looked insane. The shotgun thing where at one, oh, at one the point, rope. <laughs> at one point, fucking, not that this would work in real life, but that doesn't matter. Uh, Chow Yun-Fat's character has a shotgun on a rope, and if he throws the shotgun into the doorway, the rope pulls on the trigger and it fires. And the idea <laughs> and being is that anyone who's at the corner. door is like getting shot by the shotgun. It's stupid, but it's done so well that you know it doesn't matter. It's it's wonderful. Again, it's I think that's why I'm so turned off. You know, a movie has stuff in it that I think is gross and is annoying because it's such a part of the character. Fine, whatever. It doesn't bum me out that hard because that happens in movies. It's, you know, that's the world we live in. It's that the parts of this movie I like are so good. It makes me that much more mad that the parts that I don't like are so gross. Does that make sense? No, it's not. It's not like a boring movie that has some misogynistic stuff in it it is a awesome movie that is now not awesome because you have all this shit in it and it's so integrally part of the character if it was just a villain you know like i could see us watching this movie and there's a part where the villains are so shitty to this to the like at one point chow yun fat's sister is is taken hostage i could see a movie where they're so gross to her that like we come on to record and you're like i couldn't get in the movie because that turned me off so much and i would say i get it but i don't care Right, yeah. because it's not an integral part of the movie. I don't like it, but it didn't ruin the movie for me. This is his whole character, and it's not fair to Chow Yun Fat. I don't think as an actor. I mean, again, he chose the role, so I'm not trying to totally, yeah. you know, whatever. But I think, like, as an actor, he how charming can you be? Right? It's yeah. his vibe is not again. Not that I'm defending Mel Gibson because I do have but beef with him as a person. But right. in Lethal Weapon, he's fucking a uh, he's the a maniac. Ass. He's yeah. a maniac, but he's charming and funny at being a maniac. Chow Yun Fat's character is more like, you know what he reminded me of? He reminded me of uh, if Chevy Chase and Caddyshack wasn't funny. Right. That's that's this yeah. character. It's Chevy Chase and Caddyshack as a cop. None of the jokes are funny, and he and hates women. Smug. Yeah, it's just like that is the vibe, and it's just like fuck, man. And again, or 
if his partner had been given more to do than just be awesome at fighting, if he had anything that really worked for him as a character, that might have balanced out the shittiness of Chow Yun-Fat's character. But none of that is there. All that we get <laughs> yeah. is these shitty cops. And again, side note, that's fine. I don't care that they're shitty cops. I mean, I watch Eurocrime films. I get it. Like, cops are shitty. That's fine. But we're spent so much time with them, and it's so clear that he's supposed to be the thing that's compelling us as we're watching the movie, it's such a bummer that there's nothing there, man. There's like nothing to hold on to. The coolest thing he does is drink a glass of eggs in front of some people. That shit is so weird. Cause he eats like, and then like that whole opening sequence, like with the hiccups, what the fuck? You've never had hiccups. And then like the whole him. Okay. So then there's like a robbery that happens in like a place that he just escapes being caught with a cheating wife and her husband coming home. And then he goes to get breakfast, right? And I guess he's, he's supposed to have a hangover. But until he orders this shitty food, they've never said he has a hangover, right? But yeah. then he just orders hangover food for some reason. And it's just like he, he guzzles a, a cup filled with like 12 raw eggs. And he follows that up with a cup of milk that he shotguns. Side and note, then, how gross did that milk look? I thought for a second, Lord. I for a second, thought for a second, maybe they meant soy milk. If that's a glass of soy milk, okay. But yeah. if that's cow's milk, what the fuck is going on with that? What milk? is even happening? And then he pees himself when the robbery happens and yep, his, yep. He, oh my God, it's the weirdest sequence in any Asian movie slash movie that I've seen in a very long time. Oh, I'm sure there's weirder shit than that. Yeah, fair, no, but, but I mean, like, I know what it, you're saying. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, the yeah. weirdest unintentionally weird sequence that I've seen. It's in supposed a long time. to be fun and funny. It's supposed to be establishing him as like a this a light crazy, and airy, yeah, yeah. yeah, wacky guy. You know, oh, he's it's so like, wacky. God, and again, the clothing choices in this movie are awesome. I will say that the like, wardrobe is unbelievable, and it's yeah. so over the top. It's so stupidly late '80s over the top that there were parts where I was like. You know what? I'd wear those yellow pants. Yeah, yeah that yeah, seems yeah. cool. You know, it's like you know, maybe I wouldn't wear the shirt choices, but like, there's a there's a couple of color blocking moments. There's also yeah. a very uh, very intense um, acid wash denim jacket in this movie that I couldn't take my eyes off of in the final sequence. So I was like, wow, yeah, my man Conan's going for it. He's yeah, looking like he's half Blade Runner, half Rodeo. It's a hard I also style, love, man. I also love all the ridiculous ways they found to hide the cocaine. Like, it's in the surfboard. It's in the it's concrete in tube. The cement, it's in the, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything about that is just ridiculous to me as well. And that's great. And again, if you can find a YouTube clip of just the chainsaw fight, that's worth it as well. The chainsaw yeah. fight at the end of the movie is so fucking great. It's unbelievable. And Gordon Liu is so awesome in He's that chainsaw yep, fight. Yep. He's so cool. And it's just like, man, this dude, icon, goddamn, icon. All right. I don't know yeah. that there's much else to say other than, you know, if you want to recommend us some more Hong Kong cop Action. stuff. Actually, side note, Josh, I found a list on Letterboxd called Neon Badge, and Ooh. it's literally just a list of like a certain kind of vibe of cop movie. Uh, and I was looking at this list going, oh, I kind of want to watch a bunch of these movies because they're so out there, you know? Yeah. Um, and there was some on there that were like very familiar, but there was a lot of like hong kong cop movies and then some like 80s like exploitation cop movies and like i'm down for all that shit it's it's not that in and of itself and i do like the way the hong kong cop movies are more inclined not always but more inclined to show you some cops that are just they they you know i don't know if it's them or if it's the system that they're in but they are they're not helpful they're more of a problem (laughs) than they are helpful and that's great i'm all down with that but in this case there was nothing for me to latch on to to care about enough 
to care about all the moments that weren't action. And that's not what you want. You don't want an action movie where all the parts that aren't action are like a trial that you have to get through and not like keeping your attention between the big exciting parts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, it's a rough negotiation in this one. Side note, glad we didn't choose it to show. I mean, literally we didn't choose it because after the trash humpers fiasco, I, I don't, choose stuff for screening that i haven't sat through myself uh because well because like i i, I saw trash numbers a long time ago uh and i didn't remember hating it but then on rewatch for our twitch stream i felt like it was torture and i felt really shitty and yeah. like most people left the stream and once it got going so you know i tried to only screen stuff that i know what we're getting into and uh and so we didn't show it because I knew I didn't have time to watch it. We picked something. I don't even remember what it was, but something that I had at least seen before. Mm. And so uh, I'm glad we didn't choose this because, again, while there's so much amazing shit here. Now, now, if you are someone who feels like you can hold your nose and not worry about how stupid and messy the actual narrative, narrative of the movie but, is, yeah. cool, go for it because the action really is amazing. But if you're someone who's like, no, nah, I, I need the narrative to – I need this to be a movie. I need to care about this movie yeah. and I need the movie to work. It just isn't that for us. Maybe other people feel differently, especially, I don't know, if you hate women. No, I'm yeah, sorry. That's me. I shouldn't say that. But, <laughs> but you know, it, it, I think the narrative doesn't work. And for me, that was a bummer. But, yeah. you know, I, I I get that this is this is literally a legend of who directed this. And so I don't know that this is his genre per se, but it 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 was great to see those that choreography going on. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'll probably never watch this again. It's just not something I, I can see myself coming back to. It's basically a choreography clip show. Yeah. I will definitely be going back to that chainsaw fight. That's true. That the is rest of the true. movie, not so much. I could see me saying like, if I do like a, like a double feature or even like a marathon with Doug being like, okay, now at this point, just put in the chainsaw fight from tiger on the beat, <laughs> just clip it out and put it in here randomly between these two commercials. I think that would be a fun thing to do for yeah. like a pre-show or something, but hell yeah. All right. Well, that's our tiger on the beat episode. Sorry. We weren't more excited about it, but I, I think, <laughs> I think we're going to do, we have to do a writing wrongs episode. You yeah, know, relatively sure. soon. I'm sure there's some other awesome Hong Kong action or even like horror adjacent stuff like the seventh curse or, uh, 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 what's the one they just put out? I forget. I don't know. I, I, I can't get it off the top of my head, but vinegar syndrome has been putting out some fun Hong Kong stuff. Mm. Some other labels been putting out some stuff. So we'll come back to this as a topic, but, and if you have, if you have a fun Hong Kong movie, you want us to cover, let us know, hit us up on socials, get in the discord, uh, Get at us. We want to have Expand the conversation. You want to hear. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, mm-hmm. and the reality is, Liam and I don't know as much as everybody else does. So that is that is. If the you theme have any suggestions, show. let's let, show us the way, listener. It is funny to think the people who listen to this show who are like, "Oh man, like I try to keep up, but you guys know so much, and it's hard for me because I'm like, well, most people I know know way more than we do. Yeah, like, I feel so like much more not an expert at all. I feel like I don't know anything. So, anyways, all right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, we want to obviously express our concern and and our hope for all the folks uh, suffering right now, especially uh in uh gaza and and we're not experts on this so we won't be doing an episode just getting into depth on the history of the conflict and things like that but i know a lot of people we know are really concerned and friends have gone to various protests and been involved in this and so it's on our minds and 
we're just a movie uh, podcast. I don't know what we can do other than be open, but uh, uh, we, we want you to know that it's 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 on our hearts and it's something we're thinking about. So uh, if if you want to uh, you know have a conversation about it, go ahead and hit me up. I I'm more than willing to talk about this with people, uh, and I and I definitely have a lot of thoughts, but. I know that uh, it's it's a it's a thing that people are feeling very fraught about right now, and they're feeling very powerless, and they're feeling, oftentimes, a little bit alone. And I I don't want anyone to feel that way, you know. So yeah, it's so hard. we're here. It's a hard them. thing. Yeah. 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 So, uh, anyways, we love you. We're so glad that in the midst of a very dark world, you took the time to hear us say stupid shit about movies, and <laughs> uh, that means the world to us. And we hope that you'll let someone know about the podcast, and hopefully they'll like it too. Yeah, as always, rate, review, and subscribe, and we will catch you a little bit further on down the trail. Okay, love you, bye. Thanks for listening. Smoke bomb. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Horror Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Dong. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great, or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.